Video Game Controls for Dummies by Eric M. Hunter Table of Contents Introduction Chapter 1. Understanding the Importance of Controls Chapter 2. Know Your History Chapter 3. Don't Do That Chapter 4. What Are We Really Doing Here? Index Introduction Controlling video games come in all shapes and sizes. In the earliest of days, we had a simple knob that turned clockwise and counterclockwise rotations. The next step up was a joystick, this time moving in eight different directions. Over the next hill were buttons, buttons for every possible conceived idea to put a button for something. Joysticks advanced to 360 degree motions. Some games had more than one joystick, some games had eight or more buttons. For PC, we had a keyboard with 109 keys, all programmable to your heart's content. Then came the mouse with a single button, then two, then three, then two buttons and a scroll wheel that doubled as a button. Now there exists some gaming mice that have up to 19 programmable buttons. Then we went from buttons in lieu of a touchscreen interface. We started playing games on our mobile devices and Nintendo decided to place it front and center on their Wii U console. With a touchscreen, you can literally put any button anywhere. VR is on the horizon, and we are in a very exciting time. It reminisces back to the days of the birth of the arcade, when people didn't know what the hell they were doing. The world was open to try new things, experiment, create games based solely on an interesting set of controls. Now, since you're listening to this episode, I can assume that you are looking to create great controls for your indie game. Not only will we discuss the ways to allow your players to control your game, but we will also discuss the things you just don't ever do. Sounds I use in this podcast. To make finding your way around this podcast as easy as possible, I use little sounds to help highlight important information. I highlight important advice and tricks of the trade with this sound. This sound draws your attention to information that you may want to come back and bear in mind when creating your indie game. I like to illustrate points I make with concrete examples to make them more memorable. This podcast is packed full of helpful exercises designed to take your indie game forward. Don't just listen to them, do them. Everything else is just for fun. So let's get started. Chapter 1. The Importance of Controls Control is an important piece of your game's experience. Along with story, graphics, and sound, controls can make or break your indie game. With one exception, bad controls can't be overlooked. Controls are the foundation of your game. It's the one true way for your audience to interact with it. If you're not interacting with your game, then you're simply watching it. And that, my good friends, is called a movie. We aren't making movies, we're making games, good games, games that people want to play for years on. Great controls go unnoticed. 
They may have a single line in a review stating that I was able to jump right in. Innovative controls, when done well, take a much bigger stance when discussing your game. Quop, developed by Bennett Foddy, is a game where you control an athlete named Quop, Q-W-O-P, using only the keys Q-W-O-P on the keyboard. Each key is set to a different part of the athlete's legs. By hitting the keys in a very precise order and rhythm, you can sprint down the track. It's awkward to control, but challenging enough that if you take your time and practice, you can run 50 meters. When people talk about Quop, they never seem to mention how gamers can set their own goals while playing. Some feel like winners moving only five meters, where others can only move inches and feel like they've accomplished much. Or the fact that there's no leaderboard to help promote this style of goal setting. They only talk about the controls. Quop plays so weird and out there that it's hard not to talk about it. So much, in fact, that Foddy went on to make three more games in a similar fashion. The games were a hit, and still are today, with Let's Players streaming their frustrations out and trying to get that damn unicorn to the version. Interesting controls can also bring up a sense of comedy, in the case of Octodad, Deadliest Catch, a game where you play as an octopus completing chores typical of a mundane suburban father, but proves difficult because, well, you're an octopus. Keeping your disguise up and trying not to wreak havoc while others are around can be extremely comical. So the control scheme is, of course, a strong focus, but also the outrageous situation of an octopus pretending to be a dad. Bad controls stick out like a sore thumb. They overtake the conversation of what have been about character development and plot devices and to headlines like, Bad controls and one hilarious bug make Mad Max a mediocre game. Or, that non-zombie game with the bad controls. Or, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5 is a broken, heartbreakingly bad game. Doesn't get much more brutal than that. Controls are more important than you think. It might seem like common sense, but trust me, I've had my fair share of poor controls. Approaching the situation as a gamer and not as a developer will give you an honest look at how control can influence your indie game. Chapter 2. Know Your History Time has shown the evolution of games' controls. With Nintendo deciding that the directional pad was the perfect use for a platformer on their NES was a risky move. That paid off. Because of this, Mario's movement seems natural so many years later into the Game Boy and Super Nintendo, all including a directional pad. When the Nintendo 64 was released, Nintendo again chose their mascot to demonstrate the use of an analog stick to be used in a 3D space. It's hard to believe playing a 3D platformer without an analog stick. The Wii packed in Wii Sports to showcase the use of the Wiimote, with simple sports games like bowling and golf. All of this seems a natural progression with innovative controls and classic genres that we recognize. First-person shooters had a different path of control. First seeing their popularity grow on PC, you controlled a floating gun with the keyboard using the mouse keys to move around and control key to shoot. 
With the introduction of the mouse, this gave way to freedom of sight, giving players a chance to look around their world. Now developers took time into really developing the world around you, rather than just throwing you in a dark dungeon time and time again. The mouse sight now had pinpoint accuracy in shooting, which meant the enemies could be harder, forcing players to shoot at certain parts of the body, rather than just in a general direction. All computers became faster, as did the games. New genres were invented, such as Twitch-based shooters or arena-based shooters that involved another piece of technology, online gaming. When consoles tried their hand at the popular FPS genre, we saw the likes of Faceball 2000 and Spectre for the Super NES. Even a few of the more popular PC titles saw a port like Wolfenstein 3D and Doom, but controlling these games with a gamepad was extremely slow, especially with the fast-paced games found on PC with mouse and keyboard. But console shooters really started to gain attention with titles like GoldenEye 64 and Halo. Still, these games were fairly slow considering, but were well-crafted enough to have a large fan base. The gamepad is not what a mouse and keyboard are, so the precision just isn't there. FPSs on console went in a totally different direction. Now, decades have gone by of playing console shooters and players have become more comfortable with the aiming, allowing the games to become faster. Shooters now are all about speed with boosts and wall jumps. Because of this evolution, PC players find a console shooter slow and boring with little precise, whereas console gamers find the total opposite with a PC shooter. It's too fast, and with the mouse, they feel like they're all over the place. Star Wars Battlefront was a game that I couldn't wait to play. As time grew closer to its release, EA allowed an open beta for people to play. Playing the demo, the game was almost too impressive to be real. Come Christmas time, I played Battlefront on the PlayStation 4. The striking differences between the two is astonishing. On PlayStation 4, if an enemy is trying to shoot you, you have a chance to dodge and get the safety. On PC, you don't hear enemy fire. You'll just be dead. <laughs> Mixing the two is not a competition. The gamepad on modern consoles just doesn't have the speed and precision that a mouse and keyboard do. It doesn't mean that one is better than the other, but it does tell a story as to how the developer can overcome it. We've seen shooters on consoles like Call of Duty and Battlefield grow in popularity because they offer something different that a typical PC shooter wouldn't. Go back and try to play a game like the original Rise of the Triad or Doom using just the keyboard. Take notes as to what works and what doesn't work. Visualizing this evolution in control shows what we once thought was groundbreaking now seems like second nature. Chapter 3. Don't do that. Like a scolding adult, I'm here to slap your wrist for every time you make a mistake. I'm surprised at how many indie games I've played that have gotten something so big, like a proper control scheme, wrong. You can't just excuse it as something unimportant. People are putting down your game because they can't control it in a sense that they are expecting. How are you supposed to know what players are expecting? Just think like a gamer. Let me show you. You're going to want to write this down. Platformers should play like Super Mario Brothers. I don't care if you think your new and improved platformer is going to reinvent what the genre means. It won't. 
If the protagonist doesn't move and jump like Mario, then I'm out. Remember, the B button runs, the A button jumps. B runs, A jumps. B runs, A jumps, B runs, A jumps, B runs, A jumps. I don't care if you're using a PlayStation controller or an Xbox controller. If those buttons and those spots are switched, people are going to put your game back on the shelf. I can't count how many games copy the Mario button scheme, but I do remember the ones that don't. Mappy Land, Alien 3, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The Terminator, even terrible games like Beetlejuice, The Adventures of Gilligan's Island, and Back to the Future 2 and 3 were smart enough to get this right. Sega was so worried about messing up that all three buttons are set to jump and Sonic the Hedgehog for the Genesis. Or you could do one worse and tie the jump to the up key. Jump should never be considered a direction. It's an action, and actions are tied to buttons. Controls have to be perfect. New control schemes that come out always start with a foundation of titles that came beforehand. Games that completely change the scheme for no apparent reason are just trolling you. Try playing Grand Theft Auto V for a few hours, then switch over the Saints Row. Two very similar games in terms of genre and playstyle, but Saints Row's controls are backwards compared to GTA. Why? Who knows? It's just silly. There are standards that exist now. Follow the standards. If you have a unique gameplay mechanic that goes against the norm, then find a way to control it in a natural way. Bionic Commando doesn't jump. He doesn't have to because he's got this sweet mechanical arm that doubles as a grappling gun that allows him to pull himself forward and swing from the ceiling. An interesting idea and something new when released in 1987. The arm is projected by the A button and the angle is focused by holding a specific direction on the D-pad. As someone who's played platformers, proper platformers, this mechanic comes off naturally because it echoes the jump command in other games. You run with B, you jump with A. You run with B, you jump with A. Whatever game you are creating or planning on creating, play other great games in the same vein to gauge how the controls work. Pay close attention as to how you discover how things work and how good you become while playing the game. Play lots of games with a similar genre, good, bad, and indifferent. Take notes, both on how you feel when playing and what changes in terms of controls when you change games. This will aid you in making the best decision when creating the controls for your indie game. Chapter 4. What are we really doing here? So what are we really trying to do here? We're trying to create a streamlined experience. Core controls is one roadblock that can be created if we're not careful. It's easy to push something off like gamepad support to the back end of development cycle to be rushed as an afterthought before the game's released. As a console gamer, this is a natural step in the progression of playing a video game. Turn on the TV, pick up the controller, play the game. If something is off about how a character in your game is held, or you have to put the control down to mouse over the word start, we have already broken that direct line of contact. Remember the options menu in video games? 
the one that you could go in and change the difficulty, maybe listen to a sound test, bump up the amount of lives given, that doesn't exist in modern games. No one puts extra lives in the options. If a player has to go into the options screen, something is wrong. Something is not working like it should. The screen resolution's off, or there's tearing, or the controls don't work. These are all negatives, and they haven't even gotten past the introduction stage yet. Keep in mind that there are a ton of options when it comes to playing video games. The less reasons you give somebody to stop playing yours, the better the chance of enjoying it, telling their friends about it, and buying more. Don't let something as important as controls be the bearer of bad news and in your indie game. Index. I am Eric M. Hunter, and this has been The Time for Indie Games Is Now. For all of the links to articles and games that I've discussed in this episode, check out my website, ericmhunter.net. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe.